history here today. When you think of the word ripple, what comes to your mind? Don't, I hope it's not some cheap wine. <laughs> ripple, I'm having that with pizza. No, no, no. Think of, think of the ripple. I think about it being in a pool or, or lake, don't you? When, when the water ripples out. Or, or your kid jumps in and the ripple becomes a tidal wave. I love it when my daughter and wife are sitting there. They don't want to get their hair wet. Why do you get in the pool and you don't want to get your hair? Isn't that the craziest thing? They need to wear a helmet. And, and then Bailey will jump in. And then that's completely destroyed immediately. It's funny to me. Ripples. Ripples, things that it goes out. I'm going to give you a definition of a phrase, the ripple effect. The ripple effect, the principle has been around since Adam and Eve. But... In our English language, it was kind of coined or, or officially brought into our language in the late 60s. Ripple effect, it's a great, great concept. It's a spreading effect or series of consequences caused by a single action or event. Let me repeat that. The ripple effect is the spreading effect or series of consequences Caused by a single action or event. We're in 1 Samuel 17. We're concluding our series this morning about facing your giants. And I want to begin with this, and we're going to, we're going to roll out of this this morning. There's a great ripple effect when you properly face your giants. Now, the negative is when you don't properly face them or you don't face them, there's a ripple effect. We're just not going to spend time on that this morning. There's a ripple effect, serious consequences for not doing the right thing. But we want to look at it from the positive, the serious consequences of doing the right thing and the positive consequences. Here's the background. The Jewish people are the good guys. The Philistines are the bad guys. They're at war. The Jewish people are on one mountain. The Philistines are on the other. The Valley of Elah is in between them. And the leader of, or at least the most prominent warrior of the Philistines is a guy named, say, only two people know. Who was it? The giant fathead we've been talking about for four weeks, Goliath. And, and Goliath determines that they're going to have a battle of champions to determine whose country, whose God, whose team wins. And so he goes out, he must have got down in the valley, and he challenges them. This is a common warfare practice to send out their best warrior. And so they will fight, and whoever kills the other one, then their team, their country wins, their God wins, and the other ones are supposed to bow down to them, surrender to them. The only problem is, is Goliath is not your average warrior, Correct. Goliath is about nine foot nine. Our Goliath here is nine foot five. And again, if you haven't been up this week or in the past, come up after church and look at him and, and just get the size of it. It's just phenomenal. And we have a, a, a copy that Jill Benefield helped us get, a man in Texas made, to the specifications, we believe, of Goliath's spear. Now, if you're, if you have a little kid, you come up here with them because you wouldn't want this falling and removing someone's arm. It is unbelievable how heavy this is. And the tip of his spear weighed about like a 16 to 20 pound shot put. So he is very formidable. And he is the, he is the giant they're facing. And he's calling them out. This is real life. He's calling them out. And, and, and nobody will face him. The king won't face him. The men won't face him. The adults won't face him. In fact, I think they're all sitting around, they're criticizing, they're complaining, wondering why, why didn't somebody do something? They may have even formed a committee if there was some Baptists there and they ate some chicken and they argued about it, had a business meeting, but no one would do anything. And finally, a 12 to 14 year old boy steps up and goes, I will face the giant. I, I will do this. I will step out 
I'll man up because nobody, none of the men are going to man up. I will man up and face him. Verse 48, when the Philistine arose and he came to draw near to meet David, David ran quickly, kind of like he's going on a date, toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag. He took out a stone and he slung it and he struck the Philistine on the forehead and the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. You remember, I showed you last week very well with those marshmallows that they put that sling, they put that rock, they found rocks in this very valley today about the size of baseballs. And then a master slinger, which David was, could get that sling. And remember how that guy left it in my office. That, that slingshot was not a pull slingshot. It was, you let go of one in it. They could get that rock going about 100 miles an hour. And they actually were accurate for 100 yards, the length of a football field. And they said someone who was really good could actually kill a bird in flight. So that's phenomenal. It's a deadly weapon. And he hits Goliath. Really, I think before Goliath knows what's happened, and boom, the fathead is on the ground. And then, in verse 50, David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and he killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine, and he took Goliath's sword. This is insult to injury. Drew it out of its sheath, and he killed him, cutting off his head. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they were not real excited about it. Man, David stands up. And what we're going to see this morning, the ripple effects of this are just absolutely phenomenal. And, and I want to tell you, listen, mom and dad, God, God has put you in charge of your kids. You, you are laying out ripple effects, whether you realize it or not. And, and we're laying them out in our community, in our church, on your football team, on your softball team, basketball team, whatever sport, your cheerleaders, at work, wherever. We are all, our lives have ripple effects. And what I want to encourage you, if we will face our giants, obey God, do the hard right things in life, the positive ripple effects will be phenomenal. But I want to begin with one negative. It's not really a negative. It's more info. You need to know this. A ripple effect. When, when, when you face your giant, you are going to upset some people greatly. You're going to upset some people greatly. I want to go back to verse 28. Now, Elib, his eldest brother, heard, this was David's talking about doing it, speaking to the men. And Elib's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart. You've only come down here to see the battle. Listen, David's brother, who, by the way, wouldn't do anything, was sure hypercritical and negative about his brother who was willing to do something. So David blows it off. He ignores the critics. You've got to ignore the critics to soar in life, by the way. And he... He goes ahead and he fights him and he kills him. Now, look in verse 51, the Philistines' response. It says, David stood over him and he cut his head off. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they said, all shucks, let's go have some corn and some water with the Jewish people and we'll all be buddies. No, they ran, man. Their world was turned upside down. When David faced the giant, un undoubtedly there were people, even in his own family, in his own camp, who were jealous, who were envious. Hey, there's always somebody that can do it better than you. And I, I just believe this. If you can do it better, why aren't you doing it? Amen? Amen? 
If you're not going to face a giant, don't get in the way of the people who are, but that's going to happen. See, you're giant. A lot of times it's just obeying God in some area. You're dating somebody you don't need to date, and your giant is going to be breaking up with them. And that is hard, and it is difficult. And you're not going to make people happy. I didn't get married until I was 35, and I had to break up with hundreds of women through the years. I didn't mean that. But listen, it's never easy. It's never easy. No, nobody likes to tell somebody, I just don't think we're right for each other. I mean, you always tell them, it's me, not you, right? That's the line you use. It's not easy when you have to tell your family that we're moving. I don't want to move. You're switching careers, and you got to explain that to your wife, and you're making a lot of money even though you're unhappy and you're out of God's will. Now you want to follow God, and your giant is going to mean you're going to have to turn your life upside down most of us would rather sit in the mountain and complain about the giant than face it. But when you face your giant, just to understand this, pack this away in your head, because this is how the devil will try to derail you. People are not all going to be happy. It's going to upset their apple cart. That's okay. Face them anyway. Let's look at some great things and positive things when we face our giant. Here's, here's a, a, a big thing right off the bat. You become a great inspiration and a difference maker. Man, when you face the giant... When you continue in your life to face those obstacles, those hard things, those handicaps, those issues that you're dealing with, you become an inspiration and you become a difference maker. No question about this at all. I'm going to give you two, two ideas of this. One, just with individual people, you do. In verse 52, it says, And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout. That shouts the, that, hey, Goliath's dead. Because I'm going to tell you, when we get to heaven, we need to be, get the, go to the video store and rent this, don't we? Maybe it's on Netflix in heaven and you can watch this. But I'm going to tell you, people were hollering and screaming. David hits Goliath and he falls down. I guarantee you, you could have heard a cricket because everybody just sat there. And then when the Jewish people saw David chop his head off, they went crazy. They went ballistic. It says, and they shouted and they pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. So they wounded the Philistines all the way from Shahraman as far as Gath and Ekron. I want to show you because it's kind of neat on a map. Bethlehem, this is where David is from, and the Valley of Elah is right about in here. Now, it's about 10 miles, so they're fighting, boom. They start chasing the bad guys to Gath. That's another 10 miles. Ekron's probably about 15 miles. I don't know about you. I would chase you for one mile, and then I would throw the marshmallow or something at you and say, you know, make fun of you, whatever. But, man, they were so fired up and full of adrenaline, they chased them for 10 or 15 miles. And in verse 52, it says, And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout, they chased them. Verse 53, and the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. They got their iPhones, their iPads. No, really, they got their, like their wine and their cookies and their raisins, but they, and their swords and their toys. They got their stuff. That was part of, part of getting the victory. You see, when one young person stood up, faced the giant, man, he inspired and made such a difference. In the lives of those individual people. See, mom and dad, that's what you're supposed to be doing. Grandparents, that's what you're supposed to be doing. All of us, you have teammates, you have schoolmates, you have people you work with. They need a hero. They need someone that has the courage. Listen, I want to keep throwing this in today. 
I'm not talking about being a mean bully for Jesus. I'm talking about with a sweet spirit and a smile on your face, standing up, facing the giants, and being courageous. Nelson Mandela, if you don't know much about him, you ought to, you ought to read about him some. He was a South African leader who actually spent 27 years in prison. 27 years in prison. Basically because he would not bow down to the government when the government was pretty corrupt back then. He got out of prison and later became president of the country. That never happens. You don't spend 27 years, almost three decades in prison and later become the president. He was a phenomenal individual. Listen to what he said about facing your giants. Nelson Mandela said, when you step out and act courageously, you inspire other people to move past their fears. You see, you want to make a difference in the lives of individuals, of other people, face your giants. But see, it doesn't just stop with individuals. It's with your team and your cause. You, you inspire and make a difference in the team and the cause. See, David just didn't inspire individual Jewish people. Listen, the army was transformed by his behavior. His country was impacted by his behavior. And a lot of times, what a team, what a church, what a city... What a family, what a business is waiting for is someone to step up with courage and kindness and clarity and face the problems and face the issues and be willing to do that day in and day out. And it's amazing how you can rally the cause behind you and make a difference. You see, most of us want to make a difference, again, by pointing out what's wrong, by critiquing, sending an anonymous letter. That's of God. You want to make a difference in the team and the cause and the city and the world? Quit finding fault. That committee's full. You decide you're going to be courageous and bold and step out and do the right things. In Rome, you're familiar with the gladiator games. And, you know, they get a little glorified in our movies, but they were really horrific. In fact, a lot of times the people that were getting killed were slaves and the poor people and Christians later on. That's kind of bad for us, isn't it? And, and, and basically, it was Monday night football, but you died. You lost, you died. That, that's how it went. And in the year 400, around 400, after, 400 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, the gladiator games are going on one day. People are being slaughtered. People are literally being killed in the arena. And a monk, a Christian monk from Asia Minor, jumps into the arena. And he goes over to where the, the Roman leaders are. And he said, this is wrong. This has to stop. And you know what happened to him? They killed him. Right there, they killed him. But there are a lot of historians that trace back and say the the beginning of the end of the slaughter of people for public entertainment stopped because of what that monk did. See, you never will know this side of heaven. A lot of times the inspiration and the difference you will make if you will stand up and face the giants. Man, you inspire other people. Here's the third thing. You bring glory to God. Man, you bring honor to God. In verse 47, and that David said that all the assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is God's, and he will give you into our hand. 
Listen, here's what David said. David wasn't going in that battle and go, look at me, look at me, look at my bicep, look at my slingshot. It's the baddest slingshot that there is, and I will knock that bug off your head if you mess with me. David said, you know what? I'm going to face him. I'm going to kill him, but it's because of the power and the glory of God. And when David finished, you know what? People were praising David and giving him some honor that he deserved, but they were glorifying God. He said in verse 46, he said, people will know experientially that there is a God in Israel after what I'm fixing to do to him. Man, listen, if you're a, you're not a Christian, become one today. Everything rests on that. But if you are a Christian, did you know the primary purpose of your life is to bring glory to God? The primary purpose of our church is not to make Chris a happy pastor. That's good purpose, but that's not the primary purpose. The, to, to, the, the primary purpose is for us to bring glory to God. Now, we do that by loving God, obeying God, and loving people. It's not some mystical, weird thing. But when you, when you step out in courage and strength, and you will make that hard decision to obey God, to follow God, to face that issue, to face that person, to face that problem, and you do it properly, you bring glory to God. Listen, Christian, don't you want to push the spotlight onto God? That's our calling. That is our calling. How many of you have ever heard of a preacher named David Ring? David Ring. Anybody heard that name? A few, a few of you have. David Ring has cerebral palsy. You know what that is? He doesn't walk well, and he's a preacher, and he doesn't speak real well. I heard a bit of this testimony years ago. David Ring said when he was born, he was told that he would never walk. He walked. He was told he'd never ride a bike. He learned to ride a bike. They said, David, you'll, you, you know, girls will like you, but you'll never marry. He goes, I'm married. I've got five kids. David, you can never be a preacher. I mean, God's calling you to preach, but that ain't God. That's indigestion speaking to you, brother. God's not calling you to preach. You can't preach. You're hard to understand, and he is hard to understand. And he said in this testimony, he goes, I, I'm not supposed to be preaching, but I preached 265 times last year. And he goes, I got cerebral palsy. What's your excuse? And I'm going to frame it different. He has cerebral palsy, and he has poured out his life facing giant after giant after giant. He brings glory to God. He draws people to God. He's making a difference. Cerebral palsy is a gigantic giant, and that's his giant. And he's overcome it with the power of God. What giant are you and I going to let keep us down? Don't let it. And when you face your giants, you bring glory and honor to God. And let me give you a fourth thing. You're going to like this. You'll be blessed tremendously. Isn't that what you like? I mean, bringing glory to God's good, but getting the blessing is what we're here for. Amen? I'm kind of being funny. Y'all aren't very funny today. Josh, go get the marshmallows. We'll liven them up again. You will be blessed. Now, let me pause and say this. Most of us want to be blessed, just like we want to lose weight and get in shape, correct? Don't raise your hand, but most of us would like to lose a pound, at least two pounds, right? How many of you would like to be just in a little bit better shape? Oh, my gosh. We have the most fit church in the world. Are the most dishonest. I'm convinced we're pretty dishonest here at First Baptist. We're, doing, we're starting a series next Sunday on honesty. Okay, all of us would like to lose weight and get in better shape, probably. 
The problem is we don't want the process. Amen? Give me a pill, right? That's what I want. You take the pill, you eat what you want, you lose 20 pounds and your bicep grows by two inches. Wouldn't that be wonderful? That's called heaven, folks. That's called heaven. See, a lot of us, we want to be blessed. We just don't want the process. And God is not into participation trophies. Look, God loves you unconditionally. God pours his great out, grace out on you unconditionally. But God's not going to honor you unless you do it his way. Sorry. He's not. He's not going to honor me. We live in a day of scary entitlement. I deserve this. I deserve that. You want honor from God, you have to do life God's way. And when you do, God will honor you. God will bless you. That's the first thing I want to tell you. You'll be honored by God. You will be honored by people. Verse 54. David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem and put his armor in his tent. He, this, this is probably looking backwards historically. He does eventually take the head to Jerusalem. He put his armor in his tent then. Verse 55 through 58, as soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this boy? Abner says, as your soul lives, O king, I don't know. Why do you say that when you say, I don't know? As your soul lives, O king, I don't know. Well, that sounded good. And the king said, inquire who's the, whose boy he is. And as soon as David returned from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him Brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. Isn't that great? He goes walking in the tent. Hey, look what I brought you today, buddy. And that head had to weigh 50 pounds, didn't it? I mean, that was a fat head. And Saul said to him, whose son are you? And he said, I'm the son of Jesse from Bethlehem. Now, David had already been interacting with Saul some, playing the harp for him because Saul had spiritual and mental illness issues. But he probably didn't, Saul didn't know him well, and he, it was real important back then to know who your family was, and so he, he told him. Now, here's the cool thing. Because David killed Goliath, and this was open for anybody, it's open for anybody, his family was exempt from taxes the rest of their life. Can you say amen to that? You get a little bit older, you'll be saying amen to that. Don't you like those, those idiot billionaires who say, I'm sorry, who say, we don't pay enough taxes. Go pay more taxes, amen? Because us poor people do, Right? I do. Y'all don't. Okay. Now y'all got me confused. I don't even know where I am. Y'all are supposed to support the non-tax reduction. But anyway, David's got to, his family won't pay taxes the rest of their life. And David gets to marry the king's daughter. You know why? Because he faced his giant. You want God to honor you? Start honoring God. And don't honor him just with your mouth. Obey him. Face your giants. Take the hard stance. Do the right thing. Whatever it is God's touching your heart about that you need to do, you obey God. You do that. You follow him. You do the right thing. And God will honor you. Norman Vincent Peale, the the great writer and preacher, said a lot of times when God wants to give you a present, he wraps it up in a problem. Did you hear that? God wants to give you a present, he wraps it up in a problem. See, David's present was Goliath. I don't know what yours is, but it may be something. God wants to honor you. You know what an albatross is? The bird? You've never seen these at Darbone or anything. I mean, these are oceanic, gigantic birds. They have the biggest wingspan of any Bird, they can be as wide as 11 feet. This is pretty neat. They, they do not do well at all in calm weather. 
when there's no wind and there's no waves, they, they're in trouble. I mean, they just kind of just walk around the water, hope a shark doesn't come and consume them. But when they do well is when the wind starts to blow. In fact, they say that an albatross, albatross it does its very best in a storm. That's when it can get the wind underneath its wings and it can soar the highest. Listen, God puts storms in your life not to beat you down, but to humble you, to get you to lean on him, and so he can lift you up if you'll follow him. But I want to tell you one last cool thing in this story. Not only, not only will you be honored, God's going to be ready to use you at the next level. Here's the problem in here this morning. You want God to use you. I want God to use me. Again, we just don't want the process. We want to be the big shot today. We want to be heard today and have the authority today without going through the process. But when David faced Goliath, in, in, in chapter 18, verse 1 and 2, we see what begins to unfold. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan that saw some was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return. Because of this, David never went back to tending sheep again. He was in Saul's, under Saul's care and leadership. And in verse 5 through 7, and this is progressing a little way down the road, David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. So Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home when David returned from striking down the Philistines, the women came out of all the cities singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines and songs of joy and musical instruments. And the women sang to to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands, David 10,000. That's going to be a problem for David in the future for Saul's jealousy. But here's my point. David becomes the great military leader in the years ahead and eventually king, but none of that happens until he faces the giant in front of him. You see, some of us are going, boy, God sent me a giant. God sent you a giant six months ago and you haven't dealt with it. Some of us, God sent us a giant five years ago or ten years ago, and we haven't dealt with it. And we keep saying, I want God to use me. I want to move forward. I want to be a Big shot in the army of God, and God's saying, I want to use you, but I cannot use you until you do with, deal with the giant in front of you. You see, God, God has great plans for your life, but it's step by step. A lot of us want to skip those steps. That's not how it works. The neat thing and the unbelievably wonderful thing is that when we will face the giants before us, that allows God to use us in the future to face and defeat even greater giants. I want to read to you a quote. I saw this on the Internet, and I modified it a little bit. God doesn't give the biggest giants to the best soldiers. God creates his best soldiers through the biggest giants. That's profound. God doesn't give the biggest giants to the best soldiers. God creates his best soldiers through the biggest giants. You see, that giant that you and I are avoiding or not wanting to deal with, that's the very thing God may be wanting to tweak and develop your character and also prepare you for the next big battle. What's your excuse? Albert Einstein, you know him, don't you? My wife did his hair. Albert Einstein 
was probably one of the smartest people, at least in the last 100, 200 years, at least we know of. Do you know when he was a little kid, they said he's a slow learner and uneducable. He, he was, they didn't think they could, he could be educated. FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, he served as president for the longest tenure of anybody in our country. And before he became president, he, was, he got polio, the disease polio, and he was in a wheelchair. Hardly could ever get out of his wheelchair, but he, he was president for like 12 years. Martin Luther King Jr., you know what propelled him to greatness? It wasn't ease and comfort. It was that he was an African-American man living in a very racist time in a racist part of our country. But he was willing to face that giant and stood up and, and the tremendous difference he made. You see, we all have excuses. But what I want to challenge you with this morning is you, you today and in the days ahead, you face those things that, that come before you. And in the power of God, you put them down and you beat them. Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, boy, I hope you'll face your giant. I hope you'll do whatever it is you need to do that God's leading you to do. If you're not a Christian,